0: Most of you probably that know me know that uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago, I started um, something. Uh, I started reading a chapter of the Bible every day, and uh, it's it's been great for me. It's really helped uh, my spiritual walk a lot, and... Uh, after reading through the Bible five or six times, maybe seven—I, I, you know—I don't know. I just read one chapter every day and I just keep rolling along. But I, I, I find that when I read things, even after a number of times, there's something different that that jumps out at you every time, and um, it's a unique thing about the Bible. By the way, I want to recommend taking that chapter a day. Program because it's just like a spiritual vitamin. It really, it really gives you a charge in what you need to get through the day. Well, this scripture text, a few weeks ago as I was reading it, it just kind of like jumped off the page at me. And I I began to think about different things, and, uh, well, this is where it led me. This is an odd question on a summer day, but how many of you, I'd like to see a, a show of hands, have ever cut firewood? Oh, well, I, I, I'm surprised, but there's there's more of you than I thought. You know, with LP gas and natural gas and all the other things, there's still some people have cut firewood. Well, I have too. Um, when you cut a log and it's too big to fit in your stove or in your fireplace, there's something you have to do to get it into pieces and you use something called a wedge now for all of those people that are non firewood cutters choppers or splitters a wedge is like um, it's like a skinny triangle you know with the point at the bottom instead of being like this it just it's a skinny triangle do you know why it's shaped like that <laughs> oh yeah you wood choppers do It's shaped like that because the sharp end, the the real skinny end, you can insert into a log and you just tap it with a maul and it starts driving into the wood. Now, as you hit it with the maul again and again, the wedge goes deeper and deeper and eventually, guess what happens? Pow! You've got two pieces of wood instead of one. It completely drives the pieces apart. Quite a number of years ago, they, they came up with a, uh, a new sales technique. And I, I don't know um, if it's used in everything, but I know that the insurance agency um, was told that this is the, the way to get clients. And if you don't use this technique... Um, you, probably all your clients will go to people who use this technique, and uh, they had seminars which were not free. Surprise about that, but anyways, they they uh, charged for people to go to the seminars so you could learn this new sales technique called the wedge. Now, I never went. Um, didn't fit into my schedule, or just something about it didn't seem right to me, but I did talk to people that did go. And the uh, the whole theory behind the wedge was this. In the insurance business, when you're looking at somebody's policy, um, another agent's policy that he wrote for them, you look at the policy, and as you look through, you go, oh. And then you turn, and oh. And... and The people are going to ask, what's the matter? Well, you don't even have replacement cost coverage. I can't believe an agent would write a policy without replacement cost coverage. Or you don't even have something else. Well, the idea was that you you find things that they should have in the policy, and then you make that really big in their eyes and And then you can wedge the client away from their former agent who doesn 't know anything because he didn 't have this in the policy now, I think that probably works with lots of other uh, sales techniques also, uh, but it just something about it doesn 't seem ethical uh, to me, especially when you 're going oh, when there 's really nothing wrong with the policy and so we never did it in our in our agency and guess what, we never lost all of our clients either. But this newest and greatest thing was really not new at all. Why don't you turn with me to Genesis, um, chapter 3. That's in this Bible that you love to read. Genesis, chapter 3. And I want to read this to you and see if this principle that's happening here makes sense. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall ye touch it, lest you die. The implication here with the serpent's opening statement was you're missing something because you can't eat of every tree. Isn't that impl- implied? Yeah. Because if you if you could eat of every tree, well then of course you'd be as good as anybody else. You would you would know as much as anybody else. But because God won't let you eat from that, He won't let you eat from that tree. Then he's holding back something that he has and you don't have. And obviously he likes it because he won't share it with you. See, see how that principle works? Eve, one statement at a time, just like the wedge going at the tree, was driven farther and farther and farther apart from God. Unfortunately, in our society, a lot of politicians use the very same technique. When they're running for office, it's always somebody else's fault that you don't have what you could have if you were with that particular politician. And, of course, the only way to remedy the situation is change. We have to change. We have to throw all that out and get something new. Don't be fooled. You're being wedged. Now, I want to tell you something important. This wedge process will not work with the devil if you're thankful for what you have, where you are, and who you are. It only works if the devil can make you think you are lacking. You need something you don't have, and God is not giving it to you, wedging you away from him. Of course, when you look at this closely, almost every single temptation is based on the very same principle. And you know how the devil is. If you give him an inch, he will be the ruler. (laughs) Um, One of the main temptations that hurts so many people at the same time today is probably divorce. 50% of the people end up in failed marriages because of it. Whether it's Bathsheba and David or Dick and Jane or Tom and Mary or whoever it is, um, the wedge is at the very starting phases of every broken relationship. It starts like this. Small little split. Um... He doesn't even seem to notice the clothes you wear anymore, or she doesn't notice. Um, you're being taken for granted. He didn't even tell you how good that supper was, or she didn't even tell you how good that supper was. Um, he's too busy, or she's too busy at work, at play, at hobbies. He or she has no time for me anymore. Tap, 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 that wedge is getting driven in deeper and deeper and deeper. Your needs aren't your needs aren't getting met like they used to. Why, he even forgot my anniversary. We've been married for thirty years and he can't remember one date out of the year. And then just like magic. Somebody else appears who notices the clothes you wear, who is very attentive to everything you need, and he takes care of you, or she takes care of you. The devil is wedging you apart so he can hurt everybody that's involved. And it's not only you, it's families. It's it, it's a lot of people hurt at the same time. Now, I know that some marriages do get broken. I know from personal experience, <laughs> marriages get broken. Some marriages are are beyond repair. And I know every marriage wasn't made in heaven. <laughs> but don't you think the devil has something to do with this? Of course he does. My brother Rob, who's been married a few times, told me when when I... He was up a couple summers ago and he said, you know what, Mike? He said, about marriage, he said, you never know how good you had it until you find something you thought was so much better. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that, too, because when the devil puts on the show, it's always the good stuff, never the bad stuff. But I do want to tell you this, and I hope you won't forget it. God is a God of love. And he loves you before, during, and after a relationship fails. He never ever gives up on you. Never. I would like you to turn in your Bibles with me to uh, John chapter 4. You're probably familiar with this. Oh, yeah, we just sang a song right about it, didn't we? Woman at the Well. Um, let's look at verses 16. Yeah, let's, let's turn to verse 16. We'll start there. Um, you know, the beginning story, Jesus is at the well and the woman is drawing well and, and he asked her for some water and he doesn't have a cup and, and, and she goes on and here's the, here's where I really want you to look at. The woman said to him, sir. Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus is telling her about living water, water that he gives. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. That would be a little predicament, wouldn't it? But Jesus knew, go call your husband. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. <laughs> well, that's true. She didn't have a husband then. But if you find out, she had five of them. Five different husbands, and the guy she was with now, she wasn't married to. Now, Jesus still loved her. He, he, you know, I don't, he didn't appreciate her lifestyle. He didn't accept that, but he accepted her. And that's the important part of the whole story, that Jesus always accepts you even when you've messed up. One, two, three, four. However many times, as long as you're willing to come back to Jesus, he accepts you. And he brought her into relationship with himself. Now, I'm sure the devil had been telling her ever since the first failed relationship, (laughs) You're, you're no good anymore. I mean, God, you know what God says. You know, you forget. He's not going to love you. He's not going to take you back. That's probably the first time. The second time, you're really toast now. Forget it. God God maybe could have forgot, forgive you the first time, but not number two or three or, but that's how the devil works. And that's where the chains come in. The devil gets you to commit sin by driving a wedge between God and you. Then he continues to push that wedge harder and harder and he tries to tell you that your sin will keep you away from God. Now, how many of you ever, I don't raise hands here, but you can think in your own mind, how many ever just stepped out and committed, committed a, a grievous sin? Didn't they all seem small at the time? The devil couldn't tempt you if it, was, if it looked so huge. And so what he does is he makes it look small, just like that little wedge. But then when he's got the point in, he pounds it until, and then he tells you, oh, this is too bad. You can, you can never go back. He wants to chain you to the sin that he caused you to commit every sin works the same no matter what it is wedge principle push you away from it and you know something else when that wedge is going in it's not God that's moving it's you that's moving because God is solid he stays right there you're the one that seems to move away The devil, after he gets you to commit sin, he wants to make you feel in fear like you're damaged goods. Like God has let you down. But the complete opposite is true. You know, you're the best you there is. (laughs) You're not the worst you, but you're the best you. You're the only you. You know, when you look through the Bible, I, as I read it, all the stories that are put in the Bible, did you ever notice that the majority of the stories that are written for us to remember are written about people that that society or that class of people felt were inferior? Did you really think about it? Samuel might be an exception because Samuel, from the little little on up, he was with God and, and people looked up to him. But think of, for instance, David. Remember when Samuel had to go anoint a king at the house of Jesse, right? And all the big strong guys got paraded out in front of him one at a time and Samuel said, oh, I can see why you'd pick him, Lord. But no, he didn't pick him. And then the next one, wasn't quite as big or strong, but didn't pick him either. And then the next one, went down through the whole list till there seemingly was nobody left. And then, and then, Samuel was told that little shepherd boy was the one to be the king. My wife and I were in a discussion, and I asked permission, I can tell you this. (laughs) We were in a discussion the other day about about being short. (laughs) And she's not short, but she's shorter than me. And we were discussing about, I was saying, isn't it a handicap to never be able to reach up to that top shelf and just pull something down? And uh, she said, no. And uh, she informed me that being small is not a handicap, and you'd better believe her. (laughs) Kids, I want you to think about this. There was a wee little man in the Bible. Do you remember what his name was? That wee little man was he? Anybody? What's it? Zacchaeus? Or Zacchaeus? How do you say that? Is it? Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus? Oh, oh let's just let's test. How many of you think it's Zacchaeus? How many of you think it's Zacchaeus? Oh Zacchaeus wins. <laughs> That's the way my wife thought it was too. <laughs> yeah. But you know hey, you know in the Bible it says except you become as little children you should not enter into the kingdom. Did any of you hear that song ever when you're kids in Sunday school or Sabbath school or vacation Bible school? Do you, do you, would you do that if I, if I started off? Remember I, Let's do that. Right? How many of you know the motions that go with it? Well, let's just sing that. Okay, I, I see lots of heads, especially Sabbath school teachers in, in the younger class. Okay, let's try it. Ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in a tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Did that bring back good memories? Well, it did for me. In fact, my, my wife was singing it the whole rest of the night when we went through that. <laughs> but it's, it's good memories. It's good memories. And, and that's the part children gravitate to. But think about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. Think about the story of Zacchaeus, was average height. In the crowd there, someplace with everybody else, because he could see. He wouldn't have been up the tree where Jesus could see him. Sometimes God uses people that, in fact, most of the time, that seem inferior to others to help teach lessons. Short was good for Zacchaeus, wasn't it? Because Jesus did come down and Jesus did go to eat with him. And Zacchaeus, who was a Tax collector. We still don't like them today for some unknown reason. But he was a tax collector. But not only that, he was a cheater. Because he got to keep all the money he cheated away from the people. So he was a tax collector and a cheater. But Jesus was not afraid to go have lunch with him. And when Jesus talked to him, he saw that Jesus could accept him. And he turned his heart around. He broke those chains of cheating and robbing. And he brought Zacchaeus back to a good relationship with him. You know, today the world says that you, uh, you need money to be important. They don't have to tell you that. All you have to do is watch. And you can see people say you need money to be important. But... Jesus took the poor widow with the two little tiny coins, two little mites, and used her as our example of how we should be. She was not chained by her poverty, and she didn't let the devil drive a wedge in there either because somebody else had something that she didn't. The very last person I want to look at today, briefly, is Mary. You know, Mary, Martha's sister. There's a number of Marys, so let's identify Mary, Martha's sister. Now, she came from what most people consider, as you can look in Bible commentaries, a decent family home. But she got involved with prostitution. You see, lots of people believe, and I do too as you look at the facts, that Mary was Martha's sister, but she was also Mary Magdalene who was living down by the sea of town of Magdalene. That's where she got her name, the prostitute. That's pretty much a no-no in every Christian church. I mean, you can find churches that are willing to accept almost anything today. And whether God's word said it's not good or not, they'll accept it. But prostitution, they kind of draw the line there so far. Um, Jesus did not shun her. Jesus did not turn his back and go, <laughs> Jesus cared about her. Jesus paid attention. And something happened in Mary. You know, we're told that he cast out seven demons from her. What we're not told of is, was it seven all at once? Or was it demon number one gone? Whoops, I fell back into sin. Demon number two gone. Whoops, I fell back into sin. Through We don't know. And I've looked at it, you just can't find out. But human nature being what it is, unfortunately, without God's help, we often fall back into sin. And so I don't think it's illogical to suspect that Mary fell back into sin again and again until finally she got it right. Finally. She followed God and didn't fall anymore. You know, when the devil wedges you away from God, he also wedges you away from power. You cannot do what God wants without the power he gives you to do what he wants. And so if you let the devil separate you from God, you're doomed to failure. Until someday, somehow you wake up and say, this isn't working. And you don't listen to the devil saying you can't go back. And you do go back. That's the only way it ever works. And now today's scripture, Colossians 4.18. Paul said, remember my chains. As, as I read that, I looked through a Bible commentary after a Bible commentary. There's really not much said about that. You can take it two ways. First of all, Paul wasn't chained to sin anymore because he was hooked on to the power. He had God in his life. So we know he wasn't chained to sin. But he had physical chains. There's no doubt about that. Now, was he telling people to remember his physical chains to feel sorry for him? I doubt it. I think he was telling them to remember his physical chains because even chained up in prison, he was able to witness and help other people find the Jesus that he loved. He was able to teach them that the devil lies, he's always lied, and when he's wedging you apart from God, don't listen. Don't listen. You know, in this world, God does not heal every sickness. God does not heal every relationship. God does not heal every financial difficulty that we may have. And there are innocent people in jail right now. But God has not forgotten any of them. And he won't forget you either, no matter what circumstances you're in today. He is there with his arms, just like the father and the prodigal son, waiting to hug you and hold you and ask you to come back. Don't let the devil put a wedge between you and God. God loves you. Right now, you're the best you there is. But he can help you become even better. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you help us to have an understanding to open our eyes when we're being wedged away from you by the devil. Lord, we pray that you help each of us to be understanding to those that have been wedged in some dramatic way that everybody knows. Help us to love them and be kind to them just like you love us and are kind to us. And, Lord, we pray this week that you help us to study your word so we can tell the difference between right and wrong and we can grow in that relationship with you that you want all of us to have. Father, we know that there's disease and sickness and illness and, and hurt in this world. And until the devil's destroyed, it can't be gone. But we know on that new earth that you'll have nothing but good for us, no more sorrow or tears or sickness. We look forward to that. Be with us this day, this week, the rest of our time here on earth until we can meet you face to face. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.